sample qualities, and I really don't like the word input. You're going to see why the word input is just not the word. And seven meters, which are going to be the emotional ones. Okay. Now, we're going to start with Chachma. Are we going to start with Chachma? This is the first one. Okay. Now, I have here... Why is it the first one? It's a good question. I have here a piece of, two pieces of paper. This is part of a mimer, part of a discourse from the Tzemach And it is one of the few places in Chassidus where it actually goes with each single part of the soul, Chachmah, Bina, Das, Chesed, word for each one, and explains what they are with the godly soul and what they are with the animal soul. It doesn't just like give you one or two examples, and just like clear it out with. So, I will leave this if anybody's interested in seeing the original. Thank you. If it is in Hebrew, it is not translated. So, um, if you find it fascinating, you want the entire mimer, I don't like printing it out for you, but I only printed out the part that's relevant. Okay. So, now remember the thing that we have to understand is that each of the attributes of the animal soul are an impurity, right? They're a corrupting influence on that same thing with the godly soul, right? So if we really want to understand what is Chachma of the animal soul, our starting point has to be what is Chachma of the godly soul and what would be an impurity in that. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So what is the Chachma of the godly soul? Um, learning about... No. You used the wrong word, learning. Knowledge of... No. Wisdom. Wisdom is okay. Wisdom is like the translation um, word chachma. What is the chachma of the godly soul? Like that's right, it's bittel. But everything in the godly soul is bittel. So that's too, that's too generic. So off track, I was going to say like learning about non-kosher yeah. science. The chachma of the godly soul? Oh, godly. Godly soul. Uh, 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 chachma of the godly soul. Or say, just say, Ezu chachma who is wise, one who sees what will be. Okay? So here's the thing. Chachma is compared to sight. So, when you see, seeing has two important characteristics. Number one, if you're seeing something, it has to be there, right? If you're seeing something that isn't there, not really seeing. Yeah, it's called hallucinating. Okay. And the other thing is that seeing means you're seeing it as it presents itself, as it truly is. Okay. So, there's a wall. You see the wall. Well, there's a wall. Okay. Now, another way of putting this is that. The truth, when the truth is self-evident and clear, right? Your awareness of the truth is that this this is just self-evidently true. That is chachma. Why are we Because we're going to want to talk about the chachma of the animal soul. In order to understand the chachma of the animal soul, we understand. Yes, that's what I said. Unless you don't want to. No. Okay. So, so the godly soul has this ability to see the truth. What do you mean to see the truth? Not like physically see the truth, right? But to be aware of the truth. So what is the truth? Well, number one, God is real. Yeah. Number two, God is important. Number three, we're mortal. These are not in any particular order, right? Godliness is life. Disconnection from godliness is death. Those are all true things, right? Godliness is, has intrinsic significance. Nothing else has any significance. These are all truths, right? Okay, now... What is it that is an impurity 
in seeing the truth, right? So seeing the truth, what would be, what would, what would confound that? So, okay, well, so this is a little bit tricky. So let's go back to the analogy of sight and it'll be a little bit clearer, okay? Is the, is, is blindness an impurity on vision? Is what? Blindness. A what? Like you're blind. Blindness. No, I didn't hear the is that an impurity? Is that is that a, is that a contaminating influence on vision? Yeah. No, it's just the absence of vision. If you're blind, you can't see, right? Um, what about if you're not blind? If you're like me and like you got glasses, everything's very fuzzy. Yeah. No, she no, means your vision is your vision is is not as good as it could be. Okay. Yeah. What happens though if you have an optical illusion? What's that? That is. Right. Then, you, then, you, then it feels like it seems like something you're seeing something that's not really there, right? Hallucination, right? Right. So not seeing is not a contaminating thing on seeing. Feeling like you're seeing something when you're not actually seeing it, right? Seeing what's quote not there, it's not really seeing. That would be it, right? So if you live a lie, that doesn't contaminate chokma. That's not contaminated, Kachma. What does that mean? To live a lie? Living a lie isn't contaminated, Kachma. What does that mean? Well, Kachma is seeing the truth, right? Yeah. And a lie is, what's a lie? What is living a lie? You know what it means to live a lie? Like, not really. You're doing something, it's false. For instance, if I'm I'm going to um, do something that I know is wrong. And I know everyone else knows it wrong. And you point out to me that it's wrong. And yeah, it's wrong. I don't care. Right? So I'm acknowledging that it's wrong and I don't care. Right? Like breaking shabbos when you know you shouldn't be. Yeah. Right? That's, that's seemingly like it's not there's nothing. But what happens if you, if you live a lie and you are creative enough to convince yourself or you try to convince others that it's true? In other words, you conflate the truth you played a lie for the truth. So, for instance, like, no, it's not really forbidden when it's forbidden. Right? That's so sad. Yeah. Or, I don't really care that I'm separating myself from God when you really do That's care. That's contaminating it. That's contaminating it, right? So, there's, and, and the root of this all is there's an arrogance because there's a, there's a fundamental idea that if you are self-absorbed, that's false, right? You're, just, you're not that important. I mean, your life is only lasts for how long? Ninety years. Ninety years. How many people are there on the universe, in, in, in the world? A few billion, right? Okay. If you compare, you just yourself to the world at large. You're not that. Important. You compare yourself no. to godliness, right? There's a there's a there's a level of of obsession with ourself and our own importance, right? Which really, from any objective standpoint, is in no way justified. Okay? And not only do we have that, we actually, that becomes like the fundamental truth that we live our lives based on. It's not a truth, it's a falsehood. And we're very creative at defending that and propagating that. So for instance, if you do something wrong, you're very creative at figuring out how to excuse it, right? Um, you're very good at presenting yourself in a way that makes you socially acceptable, right? So chachma is this, this, this. Um, instead of being an awareness of the ultimate truth of things, 
and an openness to the ultimate truth. It's being so resistant to the ultimate truth that you start fooling yourself and trying to fool those around you to believe what's completely false and engage in whatever kind of creativity necessary in order to maintain that. That's the Chachma of... Right? So, That's the, scary. It's very scary. Right? So Chachma of the God of Soul is how do I become more open, more receptive to see the truth for what it really is, that God is real, God is important, God is life, something. How do I just let that truth speak for itself? And what is the Chachma of the animal soul coming to do? Trying to replace it with an alternative truth. Now, right, everyone has ever tried to, you all lied, right? Now, in order to keep up a lie, what do you have to do? Lie more, right? Right? And so it requires a lot of wisdom, a lot of cleverness, right? Like, think about someone who's able to pull off a, 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 a Ponzi scheme or a con job, right? Someone who's able to live a double life, right? They have to have a lot of, a, a, a lot of ingenuity. And in a certain sense, what Chassid what, what is saying is that's true about every single person. Every single person is living this falsehood. But it's not one thing, it's not just that there's a falsehood. It's that they live that falsehood if it's, if it's the truth. And our dedication to that and our devotion to that, right, is the inverse of the dedication, devotion of the godly soul to, to being aware, to being open to the truth of God. Instead, we're dedicated and devoted to this lie that we're somehow really the center of everything. And that just seems to be the most obvious truth, okay? Um, and This takes two forms. One form is entirely irrational, and the other form is rational. The irrational form is that just innate sense that life is all about myself, and I'm actually very important, and therefore I fool myself, I lie to myself, and to make myself, to my own mind, seem you know, more worthy of my of, of attention. I try and present myself in ways that will make other people feel that I'm as important as I think I ought to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no like real rational basis for all that. But then there's another kind where you actually latch hold onto actual real things in the real world, such as you are actually smarter than other people, or you are actually richer than other people, or you are actually stronger than other people. And you use that to kind of anchor the sense that will, I mean, clearly it's about me, clearly, my, my being is significant. Okay. Now, you'll notice that this kind of thing is operating all the time in the background. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, have you ever had a conversation where you were listening to somebody and your thoughts were all directed as to what can you say to make the other person think of you the way you want to be thought of? Have you ever had that? Mm-hmm. So, and you get very creative, and you get very creative that way, right? You're like very open to all sorts of interesting possibilities, right? Yeah. yeah. What's that? Yeah. What? No, which what, which faculty is that of the animal soul? Wisdom. Yeah, it's the wisdom of the animal soul. How do I? It's not knowledge. It's not knowledge. Great capacity. It's it's but it's geared towards one thing. There is this. How do I also, maintain the sense? that my self-importance is a fundamental truth about things. How do I maintain that? How do I present that to others? How do I maintain it for myself? How do I defend that? And so, and because I'm so 
wrapped up in this lie that I believe to be true, I am in no way open to the actual truth, which is we're really not that impressive. We're really quite mortal. We're really quite temporal, right? And the real truth, meaning, and value in life is found in something far beyond ourselves, i.e. God. And those are like in strict competition with each other. Here's an interesting thing. Could you be standing in front of God and trying to think of the best way to say something to make yourself look as worthy as possible in God's eyes? Sure you could. People do it all the time. Well, by convincing ourselves that we're so but, but, but what that means is that you're not actually talking to God, are you? No. Right? In other words, you can't genuinely be aware of God, because genuine awareness of God is talking with the godly soul, and at the same time be trying to impress him. I mean, think about the ridiculousness, right? You, a mortal creature created by God, are going to impress God? Like, if that, it was just the basic truth, right? That... God is eternal and you are finite. God knows everything and you don't, right? God created you so you have nothing that he didn't give you, right? So where does this pretense come that you're going to like present your better side to God in order to get God to, to, to acquiesce? So, so that, 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 that means that that, that mindset is a to- totally contaminates and destroys the actual awareness of God of the godless soul. Okay? So it's, you see what I'm saying? It's like calling it intellect is a little bit misleading. It's like the, the underlying operating system of your mind, of my mind, of every human being's mind is, I'm important, which isn't true. I don't mean that you're not important in some sense of religion. I, I, I'm really important, right? In fact, I'm the most important thing. And then that is so blatantly false that the mind has to be extremely wise and creative to maintain that and present it as a truth, right? Mm-hmm. To others and to ourselves. And that presenting of a false truth and maintaining it is the opposite and contaminates chachmo, which is being open to the actual truth. So like someone who has the chachmo of their godly soul all the time, right? They're always aware of what? That God is real, God is life. Yeah. Separation from God is death. I have no intrinsic significance of my own. I, every person's value is the godly life placed in them. Right? That's just self-evidently true to them. Such a person is a very different psyche, right? Because that's the starting place where we're coming from. But that's not where we're coming from, right? Our starting place is like, there's, a, there's this thing called me, and it's important. And then it says that's important, which, again, is not really that true. has to be. There's a lot of propaganda has to go into keeping that lie believable. That's the chachma of the animal soul. So, would you like to be wise? <laughs> Having a wise animal soul is not the greatest thing in the world, is it? Okay, questions on that? So, yeah, so how come, I mean, generally, the way it runs is that the wise you are in your animal soul, the less wise you are in your godly soul. Because no. Obviously, the more ego you have, the less bitter you have. No, because think about it. Think about it like this. Think about it like this. If you're going to have um, a chess match, you're going to pit the strongest chess players against each other and the weaker chess players against each other, right? Otherwise, it's kind of silly. Boring. Right. So, would you take someone who's Animal soul is really not doesn't have that much chachma. It doesn't it it, it, it does a, a mediocre job. It does a mediocre job of presenting this truth. It's easily dismantled, right? There are people that are like that. Like it's very easy to impress upon them that they're just not. Yeah. 
that person, that, that kind of animal soul is probably going to be paired against what kind of godly soul? A, a godly high, soul. A high godly soul. No. One is the same as a minimal, or as minimal. No, it's they're pitted against each other. That's the thing. They're supposing the other. Now, what you're speaking about is that in reality, right? Yeah. Once you put these two souls together, either one is dominating or the other is dominating. Either. You kind of have a high one and a high one inside of you. In, in you. Inside of you, but now how is it going to be manifest? So, for instance, somebody whose godly soul has a very powerful degree of chachma, right? Their animal soul also has a very powerful degree of chachma, which means if they choose to live a life according to the godly soul, they will be, have an awareness of God which is just transcendent, right? maybe even prophetic. On the other hand, if they choose to live a life going against God, right? Mm -hmm. their, 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 their ability to make everything be about them in a very convincing way is also going to be phenomenal. I'll give you an example. There was a man named Yeruvah ben Nevat. You heard of Yeruvah ben Nevat? Yeruvah ben Nevat was the first king of the kingdom of Israel. The northern the kingdom was split. You're familiar with this, right? The Jewish yeah. people had a kingdom way back when, and it was split. So Shaul was the king, then David was the king, then Shlomo was the king, and then it split. Right? So the prophet who... Um, and, and if you read the Nevi, anyone ever read the prophets? Mm -hmm. So what's the basic theme of the prophets? The later prophets, not the early prophets, but the stories. The later prophets? Yeah, what do they spend their time doing? That's right, right? And they're basically telling the people off and telling the priests off and telling the king off, right? They're just basically telling everybody off all the time, right? Yeah. Okay, so being Yeroboam ben Nevat, basically he was, he was a very righteous man and he spent his day telling Shlomo Melech off about how he's not really such a good person. He, Shlomo Melech had a lot of flaws to the point that Talmud discusses whether he was, should go to Gehenna or not. I'm not getting into that. Shlomo Melech's a complicated character. And eventually, um, the decision was made that, in fact, the kingdom, Shlomo Melech was going to be punished and the kingdom would be split, not in his lifetime, but in his son's lifetime. And that was supposed to be temporary. So some of the tribes stayed with Shlomo Melech's son, Rehavah, and some of the tribes would be given to someone else. And the prophet, Achi Ashilomi, was appointed by Hashem to give the rest of the kingdom to his very righteous man, critic of Shlomo Melech, who stood up for his right and what was true, Yeravim ben Nevat. And Yeruvah ben Nevat had a tiny little problem. Now he was like, a, he, was, he, was, you know, he was one of the greatest Torah scholars, he was a holy person. He had a tiny problem, which was, where's the base of Megdash? Not in his territory. Not in his territory. And three times a year, where are all the Jewish men going? Base of Megdash. What does that do for the integrity of his kingdom? Yeah, so, how about an alternative base of Megdash with alternative rites, with alternative religion? Bad idea. And um, who was the one who reintroduced the idea of idolatry into the Jewish people? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yes, he set up golden cows and the whole thing. Yeah. So crazy. And um, he is brought as an example of one of the most arrogant people in the world and one of the greatest sinners in Jewish history. And the Gemara tells the story, just to give you a sense of how arrogant he is, that Hashem came to Yerav Manvad and said, Do tshuva, chazar b'cha, do tshuva. And if you do so, you, myself, and Ben Yishai, the son of Yishai, and David, will, will go together strolling in Gav And you know what his response was? Who's going to walk in front? And Hashem says, Ben Yishai. So then Yerav Ben Nevat says, I'm not interested. 
Now, how do you fall from that height to that low? Because right? there is a being inside of us whose fundamental point is to be aware of the truth of God and at, at all costs. And, and it doesn't matter that it turns out that I'm a small, insignificant nothing in comparison to the ultimate truth of Hashem. It doesn't matter. And to know that and to be aware of that and to have that be clear in the most deep and profound and vivid ways, the point that, you know, that, that, that enters into the realm of prophecy at the highest levels. And against that, there's a being inside of us right, who, using all of the same kinds of forms and themes, but to maintain the lie, to make a lie seem obviously true that it's all about me. And both of those are inside the person. Now, Hashem doesn't put... Right? It's not much of a competition if you put that they're on an unequal match, right? So a, a lofty, godly soul, the tremendous chachma, is not going to be pitted against the pathetic animal soul, the very limited chachma. And vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you really have to think of them as not, you have this power, how to use it. There's two different things. There's the power to see the truth for what the truth is. That's the godly soul. And there's the power to make a lie seem like the truth, no matter what. That's the power of the animal soul. They're both called chachma, but they're, they're inversions of each other. Mm-hmm. And now it makes sense how the chachma of the animal soul is a impurity, it's a contaminating influence on the chachma of the godly soul. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not how you use it, it's which one you're using. Good? Okay. Now, the rule is that Chachma and Bina have this relationship that what you have in Chachma is developed in Bina. That's the relationship. So the example between Chachma and Bina um, is like um, Chachma is the contribution of a father and Bina is the contribution of the mother. What the father contributes is not really worth anything, but that's been developed by the mother into an actual fully fleshed out person. So Bina develops, right? This is the idea that Bina is certain in Anisha. A woman has more Bina. It doesn't mean more analytical ability, per se. It means this idea of development, of taking something and making it more tangible. Can you see what you said in the beginning, Bina, about Bina and Chachma, first thing you said? Chachma. Yeah. The racial Chachma is that Chachma develops Bina into something tangible. So now, what would the Bina of the godly soul be? Well, if you're aware of the truth of God, Bina is... Living. No. Living it. No. Bina is where you know your mind is like moving all the time. It's racing. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. If somebody and you, you just you know, it gives you a, 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 a silly example. If if you really um. You know, we don't do that. Way. So we'll just start with the chachma of the, of the being of the godly soul. So the being of the godly soul is that you're aware of God. Okay. How many different aspects are there to God's greatness, to God's goodness? Mm-hmm. How many, right? Is that something that's just like, a, you have this just like, like, like awareness of, or that's something that's very fleshed out, it's very concrete, it's very tangible to you? If I were to ask you... Um, depends who you're asking. What? Well, depends who you're asking, right? Mm-hmm. So the bina of the godly soul is this ability to take this awareness of Hashem and make it something that is very... Um, very fleshed out, very specific. 
right? So if someone who's a tremendous amount of bina of Hashem, and you and you say something like, and you say you know, and you say something like, you know, I have a lot of love and faith in Hashem. So that those mean two very different things. It's very clear the difference between loving Hashem and having faith in Hashem. You say. Hashem creates everything and there's Hashgacha Pratis. Those are two different things. You say Hashem transcends time that means something very specific. Everything about Hashem is very specific. It's very concrete. It's very tangible. It's not fluffy. Have you ever spoken to a layperson about something medical? A what person? A layperson, not a, not a medical professional. Have you ever spoken about anything medical? Just like you and friend talking about, you know? Yeah. Okay. You notice how You use very broad terms, broad categories. What happens if two medical professionals talk to each other? It's very specific, right? Why is it very specific? They know what they're talking about. They know what they're talking about, right? In other words, it's not, oh, yeah, there's bacteria. Like, I'll give you an example. Yeah, now there's all those coronavirus vaccines. Okay. What's a vaccine? Shows of the virus. Kerosene. What? Well, I mean, really? Because the vaccine that most Israelis got wasn't that at all. It's a good question, right? What? A vaccine vaccine is a way of teaching the immune system to recognize a disease so that it will fight it, preventing the person from either A, getting sick, or B, being able to transmit to others or both. Now, the original way people figured out how to do that is you give people a similar virus. So the first vaccine was actually the smallpox vaccine. And the smallpox vaccine was very simple. You give a person cowpox. And they get sick with cowpox. And guess what happens if you get sick with cowpox? No, smallpox. Because cowpox and smallpox are similar enough. Once your body fought off the cowpox, which isn't that dangerous, it learns to recognize the smallpox, and then that was the first vaccine. It was discovered because some guy realized that all of the milkmaids never died from smallpox. So there you go. And there's different ways of doing that, right? And you get very, you get very specific, right? But rather than being this broad, loose thing, it's like something that you you can sink your teeth into mentally, right? It's vivid, it's concrete, it's specific, right? Think about how most of us talk about things like Hashkacha Pratis or Hashem loves us or the value of a mitzvah. We get very hand-wavy, right? Why? What are we lacking in? The deep knowledge of it. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it doesn't, it's, it's not something that's fleshed out, right? And, and so that's, the Bina is like, no, God is real, God has to be tangible, God has to be concrete, God has to be, God is, God is too real to be left to hand wavy fluffiness. Okay, now imagine you've got somebody, and you say, well, what are you planning on doing to make a living? Yeah, I'll get a job. Like, what kind of job? Oh, you know, like, send out my resume to some places, and see, and we'll, like, I don't know, like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, and then I'll go to, like, some interviews, and I'll, like, do some stuff, and like, okay, well, what are you majoring in college in order to be called? Oh, well, you know, whatever, like, whatever we're, Something useful, you know, like, you know, let's get something to psychology. If someone talks like that, if that's where their mind is, then is it clear to them the importance of, uh, you know, a career and job? Does that sound like that to you? No. no. Because if it really was that real to them, then their mind would be racing with schemes and plans of how to, right? So the fact that our minds are always trying to figure out how do we get ahead, how do we, how do we, um, how do we take care of ourselves, right? How am I going to, how am I going to uh, ask for this raise? Which courses should I take to get a better degree, right? Right? All that kind of 
thinking and scheming of how to, how to do things in the most effective way to take care of ourselves. Or alternatively, our study of secular wisdom. Because what's at the root of secular wisdom? The root of secular wisdom is that this thing has some kind of interest and value, nothing to do with God. Yeah. Yeah. So everything from learning mathematics to figuring out how to make more money, to figuring out um, which courses to take in college, to figuring right, every all of that scheming and planning and understanding and making sense of things, right? That's all being motivated by the chacham of the animal soul. But instead of it being just this vague almost semi-conscious obsession with ourselves and, and the creativity to maintain it, it's actually being fleshed out of something concrete and something specific. And so Bina is just that power, that need. This is so real, I need, to, I need to make it tangible, I need to make it concrete, I need to make it rigorous, right? It's like if you're going to have a cover story, you need a, a good cover story. It's detailed, it's plausible. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Okay, so they're like, they're, like, and what you'll notice is, right, the more you spend time really going through and fleshing out your life and your reality, then God gets relegated to like hand wavy fluffiness, right? And the more what happens, the more that God is something that gets fleshed out and is concrete in your mind, the more the world is like, whatever, you know. Then that's why you speak to the old time Chassidim. So what are you doing? What are you? Uh, how are you going to make money? Eh, Shem will provide, you know. Whatever, you go get a job, get the money. <laughs> But that's not because they're that's not because they're not responsible people. Right? And you talk to like the guy who's the guy who's like, you know, you know, working on Wall Street and he's also from and he's like, so you gonna show? Yeah, you gotta show, you know, you say the word you know. It's like, you know. The difference is not like one both people are, are very, very smart. They're very good at figuring things out and making sense of things and fleshing it out and applying. That's not the difference. The difference is one is all fleshing out the chachma of the God. So one is all fleshing out the chachma of the animal soul. Right? Make sense? So now, why is that in traditional Hasidic education we minimize the amount of math and, and um, science and English that children learn? Because it's fleshing out the chachma. It's fleshing out the So in fact, there's an idea in even when a child even when a child is learning these things, they shouldn't be treated as a subject. They should be treated as a technicality. You know, it's like this. Is there a subject in school called tying shoes? No. No. Do you need to know how to learn to tie your shoes to get along in life? Yeah. Fine. Okay. Right. So there's an idea, like, okay, for whatever reasons, if you have to teach something, but like like the real subject matter that your mind should be engaged in is tired. Tired. Things that make you aware of Hashem. And the reason for that is because these, you know, when you make one of these souls stronger, you know, it, it weakens the other. And when you set the patterns early in life, they, they're easier to stick than when you try and fix them later in life, right? Everyone knows this idea? Okay, good. That's Chachma, that's Bina. I'm going to skip Das and come back to it later, okay? So, what is the Chesed of the godly soul? What is chesed of the godly soul? Chesed of the godly soul is that you feel drawn to God. Right? I mean, think about it. If you're that aware of God, and God is that real to you, then God is magnetic. God is appealing. Right? You feel drawn to God. Right? 
and you feel motivated to do things that make bring God into your life into the world around you. That makes sense. How's that chesed? Because chesed is the idea of of reaching out and connecting. Okay, it's a positive relationship, right? And so the inner part of chesed is love, and then you're in, you invest yourself into doing things. Okay. So that like goes back to what we learned previously about how like the love of Hashem goes into the mitzvahs and all of that. Okay. What would the chesed of the animal soul be? That you feel drawn to everything other than God. All the other things that you that you feel attracted to, that speak to you, that resonate to you. But now here's the thing. It's not in in the godly soul, right? In the, in, in, in the godly soul, the more a person is aware of Hashem, and the more that's fleshed out, the more appealing Hashem seems, and they become, and then being drawn to Hashem and being connected to Hashem is like an end in and of itself. With the animal soul, right, if there's that me and my life and my re- being and my reality is really important, that's like the hawk, and it's fleshed out. The more that fleshes out, the more you feel drawn to all sorts of things in the world. Okay. And you, 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 you feel attracted to those things and you feel pulled by those things. Yeah. So does chocolate ice cream speak to you? Yes, yeah, so not necessarily God, just not godliness. Well, but from the perspective of godliness, everything that's not godly is bad. bad. You didn't say it's forbidden. What? I said, I don't know if this was discussed yesterday before, I'm sorry. Um, does. Ha- I feel like what ends up happening is that we have all these in principle, but we express. Okay, I express the Klippa side. So does that make everything else fake? Does that make me fake? Like, no. On principle, like, yeah, we're drawn to Hashem, we okay. think. No. Yeah. But it's complicated and it's not the topic right now. Okay. Now we'll do Gvura. Gvura is tricky. Chesed is easy. Gvura is tricky. Chesed is the easiest one. That's like Chesed is obvious. You're attracted. Are you, right? If, and think about it, right? What attracts the godly, what attracts the godly soul to God is just the awareness of God. But what attracts you to anything else is how it kind of feeds that sense of self. Right? So it's not, it's not, the, the love of Hashem and the love of anything else are not even the same. It's not just the obstacle, it's where it's rooted to. Okay. What is the Gavura when it comes to the godly soul? Pushing away ungodliness? Well, it's not pushing away ungodliness. It's an intolerance of things that are not godly. That's the gross. Yeah, that you actually despise it. You hate it. You find it disgusting. We think that don't... That are are not godly. You hate those. You hate them. You find them disgusting. That's the gavura. Now, what's the gavura of the animal soul, then? It rejects godliness. You find it, and this comes out in more interesting and creative ways. So a classic thing is, um, you find people that are firmer than you offensive. You notice that tendency people have? Yes. Like two front, like four, right? Right. 
Wait. How much godliness can you have already? Like, like there's the real world, right? There's the sense of like, like seeing the godliness makes you just feel offended, right? Why is it, as a general rule, non-religious Jews are more offended by Jewish outreach than non-Jews, or by religious Jews more generally? This, this is also that good word, right? Yeah. Um, it also has other manifestations, such as when you see someone doing something good, you want to criticize them as saying it's not genuine, including yourself. But it's not being motivated by a place of seeing the truth. Rather, it's a motivated place of delegitimizing. That's not genuine. That's not really for the service of God. And so rendering any, any notion of Torah and mitzvahs worthless. Okay. Right. So in other words, it's it's it, the 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 chesed of the animal soul is like much more obvious, right? It's chesed. We're drawn to things, and 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 we're drawn to also things which pull us away from God. The gevura is the more interesting one because that's like an actual aversion to Torah and mitzvahs, an action, and like it can come out in very obvious ways. Like I don't want to be from, like who's God to tell me what to do? Right? The whole idea of like. God being in charge, I find offensive. But it can be in much more subtle ways. We're like, I'm okay with being from, but those people are too from. Right? What about like being holier than thou? Does that come in, in Gevura? No, holier than thou, holier than thou is a form of the Chachma. Because what's holier than thou is kind of taking something and so using it to show. Thing. Everything in the animal soul is ego. <laughs> but that's all about perpetuating. It's all about trying to like perpetuate yourself, like, like see how important I am. So now you can see how, right, like, like on, like, on the one hand, the godly soul is like, that's, that's forbidden. And the animal is like, like, what's with it being so from? Like, it's not a big, like, like, like it don't have to be that. But like, like, what, what are you? And here's the thing. It's not because you like doing it. That's the thing. It's like, it's like, like, there's somebody. <laughs> I had a student to ask me a question. Okay. He said, don't you think that like people being on like government welfare and being supported, or like they have large families and you know, sit in clothes, there's something like unethical about that? Now you would think the kind of person he asked that would be like a real like someone who's like really hardworking and like you know has a job and self-sufficient. No, just someone not really there. So this person who asked me this question is over 30 years old. And um, has a part-time job teaching at a university one semester. And he just finished his PhD and he's been supported by grants his, <laughs> his parents <laughs> to have a PhD in, of all topics, philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, so, so what is it? There's something about like the God association of it, that the rejection, right? So it's very different. It's like, like, I really, really want to eat this food because it tastes good, but it happens not to be kosher, so I'm annoyed that Hashem doesn't let me do it. That's the chesed of the godly, of the animal soul, right? I don't even want the food, but the fact that it's not kosher somehow means I'm not supposed to eat it. Right. 
There's the, the, the notion of godliness just are offended by interfering in your life. Now, again, that doesn't, the obvious example is like not a religious observant person, but, but, but this applies to everybody. You could be very, very observant, but most people are too observant. Those people aren't genuine, right? So whenever godliness, godliness, not, not, not religiosity, shows its face, you find some way of discrediting it. That's being motivated. It's rejecting. It's being repulsed. Good? All right. What about Teferis? So Teferis has two basic manifestations. One manifestation of Teferis is the idea of glorifying something. And the other idea is compassion. So let's first talk about glorifying. What is glorifying? What means it to, to glorify something? Do you know what it means to glorify something? When you're glorifying something, you either are making a big deal out of something that's supposed to be a big deal out of, or you're making it important because you want it to be important. You're making a big deal out of something. Now, making a big deal out of something, that's something that's liking it, right? Yeah. Okay. What? What? You have new scratches. So, so, for instance, would you want to live in the Grand Canyon? Probably not, right? However, would you like to have the opportunity to see the Grand Canyon if you haven't? Why? Because it's beautiful, right? That's like, you're, like, and then, like you got to see this. Like, and what do you get from seeing it? It is awesome. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, right? It's not the same thing as like, you know, wanting food or companionship or friendship. It's different. It's not about, it's not about closeness. It's about there's something magnificent about being exposed to something magnificent. And it also harries with it, not just you want to be exposed to it, you want to expose others to it. But that's a way of relating towards God, right? Like, person, person, what? Glorifying Hashem. Glorifying Hashem. Right? You want to. On a practical level. Let's say, you ever hear these stories about people that like, spend a lot of time thinking about God? Yeah. Why would you think about God for a long time? So like Kabbalah and all of that is Paris and Well, it depends how you relate to it. Why? One of the reasons is because God is amazing. It's just the same way you go to sleep when God is amazing. The amazingness of God. It's not like, it's not about you having this closeness to God. It's just being aware. And that also builds on the fact that you feel you want everyone else to be aware of how great God is. By the way, Lubavitchers have this with their head. You ever notice that Lubavitchers will talk about how great their ever is? And not only do they talk about how great their is, they want everyone else to know how great their ever is. That's Which is different than actually wanting, desire to actually be close to, right? That's different. Okay. Um, so what's the Tzferes of the... So the Tzferes of the godless soul is this, is this... One of its manifestations, right? Is this preoccupation with... With... with Seeing and showing how awesome, how amazing, how magnificent God is. Right? There's also these ideas of like joy, but it's fun things like that. What, what do you think uh, Tiferes of the animal soul is then? Um, what is the most interesting topic? Being of really, um, what's the word? Physical. Liking physicality. No, it's more chesed. What? Glorifying anything that's not 
Yeah, but see, the thing is, the thing is, it's not just about glorifying and it's not godly because there's a, there's a, there's a misleading thing about that. Even when people are glorifying things that aren't godly, if you actually listen very carefully, they're using that thing as a proxy to glorify themselves. Like, I know so much about it, or I was there. What is the most interesting topic of conversation to any person? Themselves. It's Ferris. You want a person just going on and on and on? Ask them something. And, and make it sound as if you're actually genuinely interested. They'll just keep talking. So, to of the next your is, like... Glorifying yourself. yourself. Now, you can glorify yourself in, like, very shallow ways. Like, you know, I one time climbed a really tall tree, right? But you can glorify yourself in proxy, right? Like, talk about, like, the Grand Canyon and your, what you know about it, right? Or talk about, you know, your ancestors or whatever. But, but in some way, like, you're, you're... And by the way, people... This is one of the things, like, a lot of Lubavitchers talking about the Rebbe is glorifying who? Yeah, after all, my Rebbe, the Rebbe of my group, right? That's kind of implicit in a lot of what people are saying, right? Why do you think people get offended by it? So a lot of times when we're glorifying something else, we're really just using it as a proxy to glorify ourselves. And by the way, you could, be, you could talk about God that way too. That's, not the, that's what I'm saying. It's, you could even talk about God, but it's really just a way of glorifying yourself. Whereas the God's will is actually about the glory of God. It's not about you at all. Okay. The other th- manifestation of Tiferes is compassion. So what would compassion be for the godless soul? So first of all, what's compassion? Compassion is that... Wait, we didn't say what's Tiferes for the Nebuchadnezzar. I did. Glorifying oh, yourself. Oh. And everything else. The proxy of glorifying yourself. Okay. The animal soul... Oh, the, the God, another thing is compassion. What's compassion? Compassion is where you want to alleviate the pain and suffering and difficulty of someone. So if someone is very wonderful for something, they can't have compassion for them. So now what would it mean for the godly soul to have compassion? Well, God is suffering. Why? Because godliness is an exile. It's an exile in ourselves, an exile in the world, right? And so when a person has compassion for the godliness, and how godliness is concealed in an exile, that's the Ferris of the that's Ferris of the godly soul. Um, what would Ferris of the animal soul be? To have compassion for who? On yourself. Now, what does it mean to have compassion on yourself? So there's a line in the Tanya. And I'm going to read this line because I think it's an important line later on. It's one of those lines which is uh, a bit disturbing. So in chapter... It speaks about overcoming um, our our inertia in the service of Hashem and going above and beyond. And he says like this, how the animal, so likewise with regard to serving God in money matters, such as duty of charity and life, Duties which involve coming to grips with the evil nature, seeking means of deception, dissuade the person from dissipating his money. And then he adds another phrase, and physical health. 
do we have a good argument that we shouldn't do things because they're not good for our health? Yeah. And do we use that as a way to mitigate um, our service of Hashem because we have to make sure that we don't come to harm and we have, it's hard for us? I feel like we yeah, want people to do that. What? Yeah. That's called compassion for... Yourself. And that's the... And that's first of the animal soul. Now, that's, and you say, what is it? You're supposed to do things that are dangerous? No. Like, if, if, if Hashem tells me, right, there's a very big difference, right? If Hashem says, you need to take care of your body. Okay, well, I'm doing it because he said not because I feel this, an automatic compassion towards my physical being. Okay? There's a very interesting, have you ever heard people say the most important thing in Judaism is preserving life, yeah? Mm-hmm. Is that true? I don't know. What? Is it? I'm asking you. It's a factual question. Is it true? I don't know. It overrides a lot of things. Really? What does it override? Shabbos. It overrides Shabbos? Not override Shabbos. The myth. What? It was divine preserving preserving another life. Someone is about to die. Yes. The only way to save them is to drive an ambulance to the hospital. Yes. And it's Shabbos. Should I drive the ambulance to the hospital? Yeah. Why? Because they're going to die. Okay, it doesn't override. That's just what the law is for you. I don't know yeah, but, but is because it. life is more important than Shabbos? No. Mm. No. No, because we'll save Because having one more person keep Shabbos is more important than just having you keep Shabbos. No, because he'll keep so, things. So right. So there's so there's there's no whole so so the thing is it's based on two no no so there's the one idea one idea is that we have an idea is that it's better to violate Shabbos in order to keep Shabbos. So if you violate Shabbos to save the person's life, so they'll continue sitting alive, so they'll be keeping Shabbos. That's one idea. There's another idea about the mitzvahs that says that the way mitzvahs are done is by living. Okay? But the idea is that not life overrides mitzvahs. There's no such concept of life overriding mitzvahs. The question is, what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah of Shabbos is to live with Shabbos, not to die with Shabbos. That's the mitzvah, right? You're not keeping, if you're like, I'm not going to violate Shabbos even at the penalty of death, that's not keeping Shabbos, which then raises an interesting question. There are situations where dying is a form of keeping Shabbos. Yeah. For instance, if the, religion, if the secular authorities outlaw Shabbos observance, then dying is a form of keeping Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not this idea, right? So we're naturally biased to have, have compassion for our own physical welfare, right? And then comes along the Torah and says, Pekuach Nefesh, saving a life. Like, ah, so the Torah like, confirms my natural biases in my animal soul. The answer is no, it doesn't. It happens to be that in many cases, what the Torah requires of me is to live with the mitzvahs and not to die with the mitzvahs. But there are exceptions. And so there's a very big difference where a person says, well, you know, I'm I'm going to, as far as I'm concerned, if God wants me to, to, to throw away all of my financial and physical well-being, I'm perfectly fine with that. I do with that. I can do that with a kind of cruel heartlessness, I don't care. But if Hashem wants me to preserve those things for further use, so then I'll hold on to them. That's entirely different than a person who's just naturally biased and care, wants to preserve as much as possible and has compassion, take care of as much as possible, their financial and physical existence. Right? So the ferris of the animal soul is not the fact that you are, take care of your health. It's the automatic sense that if it comes to the expense of my health, it must be out of bounds. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So we've learned that being healthy is a creeper. Everything is a creeper. That's right. That's what we're going to learn. Everything is a creeper. Okay. Everything is a creeper. Nice.
Okay. Then you have Netzach. What is Netzach? What's Netzach of the Gavisov? So Netzach of the Gavisov is that you, the Gavisov recognizes that stuff just has to get done. That's the way it is. Let me give you an example. Do you have to light Shabbos candles? Mm-hmm. By when? Yeah. Okay. 18 minutes before Shkia. Okay. Why? Why 18 minutes before or why? And you know what the, you know, you, you, why? Do you want to? And you know what, you know what the Netzach of the Godly Soul says? I don't care why. I don't care if I want to. It doesn't matter. The truth of godliness means this has to get done. So it's going to get done. What if you're going to lose your job over getting home early enough to light candles? I don't care. What if I'm really tired? I don't care. So there's a mitzvah to eat matzah. You familiar with this mitzvah to eat matzah? Okay. Now... Do you have to eat matzah even because of the expense of your health? Yes. Yes. Now, the godly soul could say, well, you know, connecting to Hashem is really more important to me than my physical health, and, right? Or the godly soul could just say, like, matzah needs to get eaten, discussion over. Right? There's this sense of, like, this is what has to happen, and it's already gone beyond the fact that I like it. I, it's just that the truth demands action. The truth demands that something happens, and you're, you've taken that responsibility upon yourself no matter what. That's, that kind of serving of a shadow, relating to his truth, that's called the netzach of the godly soul. So what would the netzach of the animal soul be? Laziness? No. It's netzach. Doing it for yourself just because uh, it's for yourself. No. No. Um. Pushing yourself, but for the wrong things. Pushing yourself for the wrong things because the wrong things are what has to happen. So, an example. Okay, I just heard this example from uh, Rabbi Kaplan. Do you ever heard this term this year? No. So you told me this example. So you have a college student. Saturday night. It's a great. I was talking about this earlier today. He gave this example. I thought it was such a good example. So I used his example better than my example. Um, we have a college student. Saturday night. They're tired. They're out of it. They're not interested in going to a party whatsoever. And they force themselves out of bed and go to the party. Why? And like, like, and you ask them, like, what's the point? Is the party like a good, good use of their time? They'll say no. So why are they going to the party? It's fine. It's not fun. They're not in the mood or it's not the thing. There's no reason. Fear of missing out. No, fear of missing out will do next. There's 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 something like this the way it works. You're supposed to go to the party, go to the party. Why? Because that's just That's right. That's the way it works. Right? That there's this, you take on, it's like, 
you like you take something on is this is really important. It's like I don't necessarily see anything. I don't necessarily want. It's like it's like I'll give you an example. Though. I have this feeling that a lot of drinking fits into this category. Is that people feel that they should be drinking, so they drink. When do you feel you should be drinking? Peer pressure. No, peer pressure is different. It's, they're like, oh, it's Thursday night, I might as well drink. Right, it's like, like, but it's like, if they would actually stop and ask yeah, themselves, objectively. Like, oh, so it's um, no external force. It's, it's you, you, right, I'm gonna, I'll, 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 when I go, when I go to, when I go to Hoda, I'll, I'll explain the difference. This is the sense of like, this is like the sense of like. This is so time appropriate. You're, you're, you, you've taken on values or practices that are really important but like you don't actually like them you don't actually care for them it's not as if they have some sort of truth to them some sort of significance to them but like if you were to like i just think that a lot of people they ask themselves like do you, like not do you like really enjoy drinking it's like so why do you like push yourself to do it and like a lot of times people feel like well you know as a macro man you're supposed to drink that's part of what it is like and you might really like taking on that. Um, like there are people. There, 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 there's, there's, it, it feels like an, you're, there's, a, there's, a, there's a stubbornness. It's like you have to do this, and you're gonna do it no matter what. But it's not even that you like it. It's not even that you enjoy it, and you're gonna fight for it. This is important. And that's not you'll fight for. Okay. And it's like, what are you even fighting for? It's one thing you really, really enjoy something and then you like make stupid choices and fight people for it. Fuck, that's like a manifestation of classic. But like you're fighting for something that you don't personally care about and yet you kind of take it on. It's, and then that, that goes against this quality of the godly. So like you might not be feeling very spiritual, very devout, but like God is real. This has to get done. And this is the counter of this. this there's some other truths or virtues that just have to be. Okay. What is hode of the godly soul? What's hode? Hode of the godly soul is. Um, Wait, how do you translate netzah? I didn't translate anything. You missed that. I know. Literally, the little translation is victory. I'm not translating them for a reason. I I think thinking of them as proper names and describing them is better than giving a one word translation. Okay, so what's hode of the godly oh, this? Have you ever? Have you ever? Um, Asked a rabbi a question, a halacha question, and gotten an answer that you didn't like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the rabbi like kind of looks at you like, "Well, what do you want from me? It's like I can make this from my." <laughs> you ever had that happen? Yeah. What's that? Let's hope. It's like, I didn't make up Judaism. Not taking um. But here's the thing: is that not not taking responsibility, acknowledging that at the end of the day, no, this is not this is not like this is like, not. Remember, I'm just a messenger. Yeah, I'm just a messenger. Right? It's not the national case. like, I mean, Judaism isn't about me, by me, for me. It's like, what are you? That's an actual case. That's an actual case. That's not good. Well, is God Torah mitzvahs becoming a Mashiach as your own personal hobby? So that's just the rabbi getting away with the, like, shouting. No, the rabbi can show compassion at the end of the day. I mean, this is what happened to Moshe. The Jewish people come to Moshe like, Moshe, this is like, what? But not like, what do you want from me? Like, like, you think I made this stuff up? But that's just projecting it to someone else. It's within yourself, right? 
Like, think about, this is one of the reasons why I'm like a very against being committed to keeping Torah mitzvahs. Because what does being committed to Torah mitzvahs imply? Mm-hmm. About me, right? It's my commitment. But it's not your commitment, right? Why? It's sure, your commitment to Hashem. It's a positive thing. What? It doesn't seem so positive. Removing yourself. It is removing yourself. It's really not a way out. That's right. It's right. It's God's world. It's God's reality. Why did you say not commit? It's not between... Is it not... Right. It's between you and Hashem. No, no it's not between you and Hashem. You and yourself? You it's about you. Hashem. Okay. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Are your legs committed? Yeah. Your legs are committed to you? Yeah, they're not. They're part of you. They don't have a choice. They don't have a choice, yeah. right? Because your legs, they're intrinsic sense. Like it's not the legs are just. They're just an aspect of you, right? Yeah. Okay. Com- commitment is something you give to others. Okay. Hold is something else. Hold is the sense that the sense that like it, it's not. It's not that I have decided this is really important. I'm going to devote my life to it. It really needs to get done. I'm going to push for it. This is a sense of. It's up to God. Whatever God decides, that's what it's going to be. Whatever God thinks is real, right? That I'm not part of it. It's, it's like it's a similar to the idea that like you know you're not allowed to disagree with your parents to their face. Disagree with your what? disagree with your parents to their face. You know that you're not allowed to do that. No. no you're not allowed. Yeah, it's forbidden. No. <laughs> you're not allowed. If your parents, if your parents says I don't know, you pop. What if your parents you wearing red shoes when you're wearing black shoes? Just you stay, stay quiet. quiet. Stay quiet. What if my parents tell me I have to come home in Israel and I don't want to? <laughs> that doesn't mean public. You don't have to do that if they're not. What? If you're in Israel and they're in Iraq, you don't have to do that. No. I, yeah, but the, no. Then what do you have to obey? I'm not getting what you have to obey them. There's disagreement in no, obeying. Obeying parents is a different thing. There's a big mistake. People think that means obeying your parents. You don't actually okay. don't have to obey your parents. There's no mistake to obey your parents. Adult children do not have to obey their parents. Blankly. There are things that they do, really? there are things that they don't. Yes. What's an adult? You do not have to obey your parents. I'm talking with quiet. You don't have to obey your parents if your parents say that they want you to marry somebody. Oh, you don't have to obey your parents if they say they don't want you to learn in a certain school. You don't have to obey your parents. Right, and that's it. Um, but, right, so like your parents don't get to dictate your life choices, basically. You but you do have to honor the parents. And one of the ways of honoring your parents is you have to have fear of your parents. And one of the ways of doing that is that you do not disagree with them in their presence. So let's say you're sitting around the table and your parent says, I think Biden is the great president. And you think that's stupid. Or vice versa. I don't really care, right? What if they ask you? That's different. Then, then they're asking for your opinion, right? Right? Um, or they're giving directions to somebody, right? And you say, um, no, mom, actually it's that. You're not allowed to do that. Well, so so in situations where it actually there needs to be there are ways of doing it that are respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a teacher that would ask, is it possible? Right, you have there? to say right, you, you could say something, you could say and it's not just the it's not just the words, it's the tone of voice. Like, I just spoke like that. My parents would think I fell off the tree. That's because we live in possible. an age where we don't respect right. But here's the important okay. thing that I want to get to. You're not allowed to agree with your parents either. You are not allowed to agree with your parents. Even if they ask? No, if they ask is different. So you just can't say your opinion on anything? That's right. Because the mitzvah... So this doesn't give children to be 
sin or hurt is <laughs> The idea is that what does it mean to honor parents. your parents? It means that if they have voiced an opinion on a topic and you're in their presence, you unless they have indicated that they want your opinion, you don't give it. You don't give your opinion. Where does this come from? This is the you code of Jewish know. law. Same thing that tells you how to keep Shabbos. <laughs> what if they're no, I disagree. saying something? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a good thing he's not your father. <laughs> if, so does it matter though <laughs> if it's like, like or does it differ <laughs> so if it's uh, on an issue uh, of like music. they're saying their opinion on no, like, like you transgress a commandment? Like if my dad. You not like asking for my opinion said like I don't think you should cover your hair when you go married. And I'm still not allowed to say, well, I disagree. Well, that depends. It depends. Is he clearly want to have a discussion with you about it? Like, let's say he doesn't want to have a discussion. He just wants you to know that he doesn't think. It would be quiet. Like when my mom tells me, don't keep shots, it it, your time again. I'm supposed to sit there and be like, it's not true. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if you want, there's a difference. So here's the thing. You don't, there's no, there's a difference. We have to differentiate between disagreeing. We have to differentiate between disagreeing. There's having a conversation, um, and there's disobeying. So if your mother says don't keep Shabbos, so then you still keep Shabbos. Now the question is, okay, so how should you verbalize that you're not going to obey her? Well, you have to do that in the most respectful way possible. Well, that's really frustrating. It is extremely frustrating, one hundred percent. But. My, the point that I want to make here is that there is a there should be an underlying sense that barring your barring talking about you know God yeah there, there's this sense that when you're, you're in the presence of your parents you're not on the same level okay? and by the way this is something you see sometimes people people have this sense of um, that there are like people in a show I don't know if you've ever been to a show there's some people in the community that for them the rabbi of the show is actually the rabbi of the show. And so the rabbi of the shul says in our shul we don't do X. Like for them, like then we don't do X. It's a discussion over. It's like mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like who am I to have an opinion? He's the rabbi. Like and they and genuinely feel that way. Right? And then there are people, well, I mean the rabbi has to convince it, he has to justify what he said, right? Mm-hmm. So this sense of hope is like, do you realize you're not on the same level as God? Like, does that has that really sunk in that you so- are not God? <laughs> So make like the that whole thing about making deals with Hashem comes under the high of the Nefesh of Muhammad? Yeah. Yeah. If a person is telling like, like, Hashem give me a sign. Yeah, that was Eliezer who did that, right? Not not Abraham. There's a whole discussion about Abraham saying, How will I know that I'm going to inherit them? Was that a right thing? Was it a wrong thing? But the one who says like give me a sign was Eliezer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um so hope is this the recognition that like I'm not the boss, I'm not God, I'm not in charge. My own life doesn't even belong to me. Yeah, you know your life doesn't belong to you? Yeah. I know. Luckily a body doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah? why you can't make permanent alterations. You can make permanent alterations. Yeah. You can't damage it. The question is whether the alteration is 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 is, is damage. So piercings that are um, for the purposes of beautifying based on what is culturally accepted norms of beauty, not your own personal choice, are perfectly committed. There's nothing wrong with, let's say, for instance, um, using, say, modern Orthodox Jews, not modern Orthodox. Orthodox Jews in the modern era, ear piercings for women, nothing left to be questionable about them whatsoever. Um, Nose ring piercings, biblical era, 
Also, nothing else questionable. But it depends on what are the conventions of beauty. Um, surgery, perfectly fine. Right? Plastic surgery, though, becomes a more of a thing because you run the risk of actually causing serious harm for only tan, very, very superficial So offensive to Hashem to do plastic surgery. Why? Off. Why? Because <laughs> like you created, I created you, so you have an issue with it? Yeah, I mean, we don't believe that nonsense. Okay, so we, we have, we have the We're the religion with the mitzvah of bris milah, right? We mutilate half the population because we think God left on some extra stuff. I mean, come on. We're the religion that thinks that God did partial job in creating the world, right? That's, that's just not part of Judaism. What? This idea, well, I mean, God made it must have been good. No, God made a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed up. Well, who used to study? Who knows who needs to be fixed up? Okay, fine. You can't read. There's a question. Oh, so so that that's that's an issue. That gets into the issue, right? So if a person, no, no. So so for instance, having you know, having I'm not getting into the specifics. I mean, you need someone who's more of an expert in these things, right? But having having doing modifying the body in such a way that you're able to do things that that other people are normally able to do and you can't, right? Or to correct for damage, even cosmetic damage. Is entirely different than doing to enhance the higher standard of beauty, where that actually has serious risks of causing harm to the body, right? And I think the laws of weighing these things, but the thing is, like, it's not your personal choice. You're like, well, it's my body, it's my choice. No, it's not your body. It's not your body. It's not your life. It's not your world. It's not your anything. Yes. And the godly soul gets that. And the godly soul, therefore, doesn't mean when the godly soul hears halacha, it doesn't feel like it's entitled to a justification from God. And if you complain to the godly soul, it's like, well, I'm not God. I'm going to talk to God. I, mean, I didn't make this stuff up. That's the hode of the godly soul. Just one second. I want to finish because we're going to go What's the hode of the animal soul? Low sense of low self-worth that leads you to just follow what everyone else is doing. I'm gonna have my own opinion about what's, about you know what's going on. No, like what if the, if everybody's into this clip or that clip, but you're also drawn. Why? Because the same thing, but like if it's anything, but you're like, well, everyone's doing it. Right, that's, that's good. Everyone's doing it. Right, it's the it's the source of right. You know most you know the the, the hashgacha that most kosher restaurants are under, the kosher supervision. Or by not. No, the most no, the most universally relied upon not me, the most widely relied upon hechsher is the everyone hechsher. Uh-huh. Everyone eats there. It must be fine, <laughs> right? You know that. Yeah. Right. Everyone's doing it. it must be good. Everyone wants to go. It can't be right. Right. I mean, when things are when when things are really important, you don't have that. Right. So there's one end. There's this whole this sense. Well, I mean, God is God. Like, who do you want from me? He's the, it's, it's his reality. It's his truth. It's his world, right? And the other science is like, is that you're just a slave to society and social norms and expectations. And like, there's no backbone to you. And so you get dragged into all sorts of ungodly things because, not because you want them, not because you're pushing and fighting for them, because like, there's not enough of you to resist. Yeah? How many people do things and make life choices because... That's the way the world works. That's what everyone does. But it's not like they actually, they're not, they're not, they're not fighting for it. They don't care about it. Just kind of dragged along. All right, tomorrow we'll do Yisod. Yisod is fascinating. Thank you. But I want to impress on you how each one of these things is like literally the same 